This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Raw Reaction series, a show in which we react to the latest Arsenal fixture, and that includes yesterday's game. Uh, the disappointing 2-2 draw with West Ham United at the London Stadium. Not what we wanted, not what we expected, certainly not after how the game begun, but it's what we got. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to break it down. We're going to get a feel for it. I think we're going to have some therapy. And I think we're going to deliver some much-needed lessons and truths about the game and some of the instances and individuals that took part in it, what this means in the context of Arsenal's season, and, of course, how it affects the fabled title race. Uh, we're going to get into all of that and more, of course. Uh, but before we do, please, if you haven't done so already, just click that thumbs up button. It really does help us out here. If you're new to the channel, please do subscribe and turn those notifications on so you get notified whenever we drop a show. And that's going to be important to do for the next week. As I say, this is the last UK 8am show for a week. Next Wednesday uh, will be the 26th, the morning of the Manchester City game. That will be the next, uh, I think, 8am show UK time. Now, uh, this is obviously, if you don't know, because I'm traveling to Chicago tomorrow for a week. Uh, looking forward to meeting up with the Chicago Gooners out there for a couple of events, a live podcast, and to meet plenty of our listeners as well. It's going to be, hopefully, a really, really good trip. I'm very excited for it. Um, now, I am going to be recording a Southampton preview uh, with a journalist a little bit later on today uh, in the evening to go out tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. So you will still have a show dropping at 8 a.m. tomorrow, which will be the Southampton preview um, so you're still going to have a show tomorrow morning at 8am dropping. It'll be like a premiere. It won't be the usual live show. And then from that moment forward, so from Wednesday, there will then be 8am Chicago time shows, which is 2pm UK time. So for the next week or so, you should have a show every day still rounding up all the latest Arsenal news, but it will be 8am Chicago time, which is 2pm lunchtime. UK time. So hopefully that clears up any questions that anyone has. If you do have any questions about the scheduling of the shows, 
do make sure to get in touch and I'll do my best uh, to answer them. But good morning to everybody joining us live in the chat box today. Keems, Blackshine, Jose, good morning to you. Paul, uh, Memano, Memano, Memano. I hope that that's uh, correct. Sandman, Stevie, Peenyween, uh, Emmanuel, Jamie, uh, James, sorry, Stephen, unorthodox fella, Martin, uh, old Dave, we've got uh, Clincy, uh, Martin, Gunner Dude, and plenty more. Matt G, I see too. Always a pleasure uh, in the chat box. A ditch up, Penny Ween, course too. And uh, yeah, it's been a really annoying last 12 hours. I was absolutely gutted. I was at the game yesterday, and at full time, I was just kind of head in hands rubbing my forehead um it was just a frustration and this morning i've woken up and i feel a little bit better um i actually thought that we were in a worse position than we were i actually thought that what happened yesterday had surrendered control entirely and i was actually i don't know why i felt this way but i was actually surprised that we're still in a situation where if Man City win their game in hand, they don't go above us. I don't know why. It just yesterday felt so bad, and the reaction to it felt so bad that it was it was like as though if Man City were winning their game in hand, they'd go above us. When that's not the case, the thing is obviously with the fact they've still got to play us, and we still have to play them. Which I'm looking for personally as an opportunity. I think I'd feel more worried if we were one point ahead. And we weren't playing Man City because it gives us a chance. I think it's an opportunity to look at. Anyway, we'll look further forward soon. We need to talk about the game yesterday before we get into any of that. So the 2-2 draw certainly was damaging. Um, but for me, it's not over in terms of the title race. I think I put it in the in our group chat saying if we were to lose to Man City, I think that's what would ultimately end our hopes of, of a title chance this season. But I do, look, we are a pessimistic bunch, some of us Arsenal fans, I get that. And some people were just kind of throwing in the towel yesterday, which considering we are still top by four points, City don't even play this weekend and we could go seven points clear again, of course, having played two games more, their games in hand, uh, one away at Brighton, the other one, ironically, against West Ham. I think Fulham is potentially is one as well away from home too. Um I don't really know what the benefit of people is saying that the, the, the title race is over. I can see, I can already see it. Uh, Reginald in the chat, the title race is over. I'd love to know why that you'd, you'd want to say that, first of all. I don't really get the mindset, maybe because I'm an optimistic person. You know, maybe that's the reason. But until it's over, until like when, you know, the fact that we're still top and the fact that we're still top, even if they were to win their game in hand, is a little bit strange. I'm going to be honest, I find it strange. With the, all of the utmost respect, to jump into comment sections on YouTube channels, to jump onto social media, jump in even into private WhatsApp groups and say, it's done, it's over. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit over the top of pessimism for me. It's really damaging the defeat. The And it feels, I keep on saying defeat. I kept on saying that we lost yesterday. I was talking on our TGT WhatsApp group with the boys. And I kept saying, we didn't lose today because of X, Y, Z. And I was talking for the reason. I kept saying we didn't lose because of that. And I used the word defeat because it felt such like a defeat. It really did feel such like a defeat to me yesterday, just not winning that I kept on calling it that when it wasn't. But I certainly, I really can't get my head around the, the necessity from some to say that it's over. We have waited 19 seasons to be in a title race that has pushed its way to this far and this close to the end of the season. 19 years. 
And I guarantee you that I think probably I'm going to make an estimation here that the majority of those supporters saying it's over, I think plenty of those probably haven't witnessed the title race consciously. I mean, I was nine, ten years old when we won the league in 2004. And I can't appreciate that title the same way that I'd appreciate one now when I'm now grown up and I have a much better understanding and conscious view of football. And uh, because of that, I'm really excited to be where we are. And I don't want this title race to end. So I find it a bit strange that there's just like this knee-jerk reaction from some state. No, it's done. It's over. Finished. No, we ain't winning the title. I get it from rival fans. I get it from pundits. I get it from the people that have constantly every single day for the last few months been saying, oh, Arsenal are going to crumble, Arsenal are going to blow it, Arsenal aren't good enough to win the title. I get it from them because they don't want Arsenal to win the league. But from our own fans to throw in the towel at this stage, I think it's really disappointing. I think it's really, really disappointing. Maybe it's reverse psychology. Maybe it's a coping mechanism. I don't know. But I would encourage you to say, no, it's not over. Look, when it's over, if we lose to Man City or we drop points against Southampton, then we can have having some chats. You know, if we're, if we're Man City are actually above us in the league, we can start saying, OK, it's going to be very, very difficult. It's going to be very, very difficult for us to win the league. I don't think it's going to be very, very, very difficult for us to win the league from here. I think it's going to be tricky, really tricky, you know, because if you think about the fact we've got to go to Man City, if we didn't have that Man City game to come and there wasn't a chance that we could still beat them, which I think there is, you know, sure, we can have a chat. But I really don't get the, uh, I really don't understand the end of worldliness about some. Anyway, let's go into some of the finer details of the game because it was, again, similar to Anfield, the perfect start. And this for me is another reason why I've got such optimism. I've got real optimism about what we are because I know what we're capable of. If we went to Anfield and had lost 2-0 or a drawn 0-0 and we offered nothing that we saw in the first 30 minutes of the game, and if we'd have gone to West Ham and drawn uh, a really drab game of football where we didn't really offer much and there wasn't the start that we had, again, I might feel a bit worse about where we are as a club, about what we're doing as a team. But seeing how we started the game at Liverpool and seeing how we started the game at West Ham shows me the potential of what this team is capable of. It shows me what we can do if we put our minds to it, if we are ruthless, if we are energetic and we're fully committed and we're fully focused. It shows you that we can be a brilliant, brilliant football team. Now, unfortunately, those two goal leads for me have led to a have led to complacency, have led to some arrogance, have led to a lack of ruthlessness in the latter stages of the games. In the, well, I say latter stages, I mean the second two-thirds, if you like, of the games. And you can't blow two two-goal leads. Man City have not uh, surrendered a two-goal lead in any game this season. And if you want to win the league, and if you want to beat the behemoth that is Manchester City, you can't do that. When you go two goals up in games, you can't surrender those leads. When you go 1-0 up in games, arguably, you can't surrender. Man City have on a couple of occasions, sure, Everton at home being one that sticks in my mind, but you can't afford to surrender a two-goal lead when you get it. You just can't. And there was complacency. There was a sense of arrogance, I think, about the performance. Maybe arrogance goes too far, but certainly a sense of comfortability. When we went 2-0 up, some of the things that we were doing, the little flicks, the little tricks, and I didn't mind some of it. Odegaard's in the box, by the way, was really well thought out and a really good piece of skill that had me on the edge of my seat watching. But there was just too, there was too much comfortability about when we went 2-0 up. And that, that, is, that was an issue. 
anyway, moving forwards and more into the specifics, I put a poll in the chat box to get your views on whether or not you thought it was a penalty. And the, re uh, the reaction of this was that 39% of you so far, and we'll do a review of this towards the end of the show if I remember, 39% of you say, yes, it was a penalty. 61% of you say no. And I think that that's probably about what I expected in terms of the response to the poll regarding that penalty. For me, as soon as the referee gives it, they're not overturning this one. They're not going to overturn this because there's not a clear and obvious error because clearly contact is made between Gabriel and Paqueta. And once he's given the penalty, he can't overturn it because that contact is enough off the ball. Gabriel is late in the challenge that they're going to give the penalty. Now, if the penalty wasn't given, I don't think that VAR would overturn it and give the penalty. And this is kind of the... This is kind of the situation where we're at with VAR and with penalty decision-making. It's such a silly situation where you're looking for clear and obvious errors, you know? I think that it's a very, very soft penalty. It's very, very, very soft. And, and that's about as much as it goes. Now, what happens before this moment... Thomas Partey, first of all, I don't know what he's doing. And I thought he had an absolute nightmare of a performance. Like, probably Thomas Partey's worst game of the season. You know, and and players deserve worst games. I say deserve because, you know, they're human at the end of the day. Players will have bad games. And he's not had too many this campaign. But I thought it was probably Thomas Partey's worst game of the season. And what he does, and he's he's too comfortable again. I talk about the comfortability of the performance at 2-0 up. Partey shouldn't do what he does. The little flick in that area when you're that vulnerable is silly. Just either if you're under pressure, if you're that under pressure, just boot it clear or find an easy, comfortable pass maybe back to the person that played it into you in the first place. But don't do that. However, there is arguably a handball in this moment. It's again, it's a very fine line. Um, and I think because it's quite controversial and contentious, it's not blatant and obvious. I think that's another reason why VAR didn't overturn it. It's 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 difficult. I mean, I'd probably lean towards it being handball, but then I'm quite aware of the fact being an Arsenal fan that I might be being affected by bias. So I think it was, I think it's on the border of being handball. And uh, VAR does have the power, by the way, to stop that. I checked the Premier League rules this morning. If they did deem that handball in the build-up, they could have prevented the penalty. Um, but again, with it being so kind of on the line, VAR is not going to overturn it. And so for me, even though I was really, you know, begrudged by the whole thing, I I can't complain about that penalty in particular in the context of this game. However, when we talk about penalties and the conceding of penalties, um, and of course, um, West Ham go and score to, to equalise, um, but that comes after a moment where the Kayasaka should make it 3-1. Now, I agree with, with Arteta and I agree with everyone else suggesting that Saka should take the next penalty. And he should have taken this penalty. Like he's our number one penalty taker. He's got a great record from penalties, scoring them in the most high-pressure moments. Think about the Liverpool game earlier this season. You know, if there's a penalty, I trust Bukayo Saka to take that penalty. And players miss penalties. Ricky Lambert, I think, never missed one until he moved to Liverpool and then missed one. There's very few, few players on the planet that never, ever miss pens. It's going to happen. You are going to miss a penalty. And if we score this penalty, I think we probably go to win the game 4-1. I think we probably go to win this game fairly comfortably in the end after taking back that two-goal lead. But that's just unfortunate what happens. And we miss the penalty. And then, in the same way in the Liverpool game, where after an incident where, let's just say, emboldened the opposition, I don't think the Xhaka moment 
affected the crowd at Anfield as much, but I certainly think it gave encouragement more to the Liverpool players and more motivation to the Liverpool players. And that led to kind of that flurry towards the end of the first half, which then led to a very fortunate goal that unfortunately came from a couple of mistakes and a couple of really lucky moments that Henderson's missed shot, landing at the feet of Salah, etc., etc. But in the same game, a week later, we are in a situation whereby a moment of, of real disappointment a real hit to confidence, a real missed opportunity has then led two minutes later to, for me, a lapse of concentration. The the throw-in that goes in, the clearance, we're not fast enough to get out from the back. White and holding, I think, are too slow in moving up. Or you could argue that maybe Gabriel and Tini aren't staying in line with their defenders and that leaves them um, in a position whereby the ball over the top, they're not deep enough to deal with it. But for me, I think you have to play the offside situation better in that moment. I think holding and white need to be pushed slightly further up. It was poor. We should have been a, we should have been out to the the, the ball earlier. Um, we should have cleared the ball into a wider area. When you clear the ball into those central areas, it's it's not the best way to clear the ball either. And I think it was just a combination of, of issues. That said. Bowen strike is good. It's in the one place it needs to be. And even then, there's an argument, I think, that Ramsdale could do a little bit better to maybe push it. But he is outstretched. He is reaching. Gets his hand to adjust, but can't stop it. But it is a good, really good strike and a good finish from Jared Bowen. But there's errors in that. There's errors in those moments. And it feels as though, and I think I, I think it was Aaron Catterson-Reed on Twitter, um, my colleague at FL, that tweeted something, I think the frustration this season has been around the fact that when we've conceded goals or when we've dropped points, it's been because of mistakes. It's not because of necessarily great play from the opposition. It's because of mistakes. If you look at all the games we've done this season, you think about the Everton game, the poor defending from the from the corner. Uh, you think about the Brentford game, obviously an error, not on our half, but on the officials' half has cost us points in that game. You think about the Man City game earlier this season, the errors we made gifting goals to Man City. You think about Liverpool, the errors we made in the second half regarding the game management. You think about the the, the Xhaka moment and then the poor defending for their first goal um, and also the poor defending for the second goal. You think about the Manchester United game, the way we managed things on the counter. We were too overly committal. You know, it's all mistakes that have led to the goals that we've conceded. I don't necessarily look back at the points dropped this season and go, well, the opposition really outplayed us. You know, that opposition really... I mean, Leeds was one of the only games I watched where I thought the opposition were truly, really better than us and deserved more than they got. And we ironically won that game. But that's what's, that, that's, that's what's frustrating is that I'd rather we were dropping points to an opposition that were clearly outplaying us like we used to see. Like when we used to go to Anfield, we used to play Man City, Manchester United at times, you know, there would be teams that would just play us off the park at moments and score great goals. But it just feels like when we have dropped points this season, it's been because of mistakes. And that's that's frustrating. That's really, really frustrating. Uh, moving forwards, uh, to talk about a positive, I thought Martin Odegaard was unbelievable. You know, and last week at Anfield, I was critical of Erdegaard because there were moments in the game where he's just not suited to it. And so when Liverpool were battering and battering and battering the door down, Erdegaard is effectively kind of useless in those moments because it's just not a game for him. And so when he was subbed off and I wouldn't have brought Kivior on, I would have brought Jorginho on to add that midfield superiority, superiority still I thought that was a symbol of not being Odegaard's game. That said, Odegaard was everything about this Arsenal team at West Ham yesterday. I thought he was unbelievably good. Probably our best player on the day. And 
it's I think Art Roche tweeted in the first 10 minutes that the compilation of Erdegaard's game are going to be unreal now, unfortunately, because the way the game went, he wasn't able to impact things maybe as well as he did in the first 20 minutes. But Erdegaard was fantastic. And I tell you what, when he came off, I was I don't think I've I was annoyed at the substitutions at Anfield. But I don't think I've ever been more angry about a substitution than when he brought Erdegaard off. I thought if you were going to find the pass, the moment in the game, where it was going to come from, why take Erdegaard off? Why take Erdegaard off? I have no idea why he did that. Like, you could have taken Xhaka off if you wanted to go and be a little bit more attack. It was in the final moments of the game. You've got Nketiah coming on. If you want to throw caution to the wind a bit more, don't take your creator off. Take off Xhaka. You know, <laughs> I take off Saka, who I thought, you know, ultimately needed to come off. And I just don't get why that happened. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about substitutions shortly. Let's talk about Rob Holding. Now, I've got an issue with what I've been seeing about Rob Holding. And you've probably seen, if you follow me on social media, the amount of debates I've been getting into around Rob Holding. Now, Rob Holding was, according to the match ratings, our third worst player in the game behind um, Saka, who was the worst rated player in the game, and Partey, who was the second worst rated player in the game. Holding was third. He lost key jewels, which really frustrated me. Um, some of his passing is it's too basic, sounds harsh. Um, but there are moments where he goes long, well, I don't want him to go long, and where I know Saliba wouldn't go long. Now, the frequency of long passes gets exaggerated by people. I want to make that clear. He did three long passes in the whole game. In the whole game. <laughs> which, you know, when you consider the fact that we put a lot of emphasis on the stat that apparently holding goes long too much. Three long passes in one match is not a lot. In fact, across the whole season, he's averaging just over one more long pass than Saliba is when you look at the statistics. So that for me is is about as far as I'm willing to go with the holding criticism because I think something that people are forgetting is that holding is our third choice right-sided centre-back. Our third choice. Saliba is one. Ben White is two, with Tommy Asu then going to right back, who's not available at the moment, so we can't do that. And holding is three. So the idea that it's some kind of massive travesty that Rob Holding is on the field and that is being directed towards him is so not where your energy needs to go. It's just not where your energy needs to go. The energy should be focused on the frustrating bad luck of having both Saliba and Tommy Asu out. The fact that we've had to, had to lose both those players in the same game for the whole period of time is such a rotten piece of luck for the end of the season. And people that say, well, you should go into the market then and sign a better centre-back to be better than Holding. Look, if you're going to offer me a better centre-back than Rob Holding in the summer, I'm all ears. I'll take it. Don't get me wrong. You know, I will absolutely take an upgrade on Rob Holding any day of the week, you know, like I would any player. Any player I will take an upgrade on because that's what I'd want. But at no point during last summer or in the January transfer window was I or anyone else that I noticed, and feel free to drag up your old tweets if you like and send them to me, but no one was looking, oh, we really need another third, a better third choice right-sided centre-back. Because for me, you need two good players in every single position to be a title challenger. You need two really good... And we don't have that, by the way. 
we're making do with a lot of positions that don't have a really good alternative. You look at Saka, you look at Gabriel Jesus, although that said, I think Eddie Nketiah did well when he came in and Trossard's done even better when he came in. You look at the left eight position, you look at the left-sided centre-back position at the start of the season, and you look at Thomas Partey's position prior to January, and even to some extent after January. We don't have two really good players in every single position. So the fact that some people would turn around and say, we need to upgrade our third choice right centre-back, and now using that as some kind of brilliant piece of analysis in hindsight that we should have brought somebody in, I just don't agree with. Because we had, ironically, right side of centre-back is an area that we had two really good options. Because we had Saliba, who's brilliant, bordering on world-class, and we had Rob, uh, we had uh, Ben White, who's a really, really good right-sided centre-back as well, who's moved to right-back, but now can't move in because Tommy Ash has unfortunately been injured and needs surgery for the rest of the season in a very unlucky moment. And just to finish kind of on this Rob Holding situation, anyone that's looking at the game yesterday and thinks that Rob Holding is the reason why we didn't win, I'm sorry, but I need to give you a shake and ask you to reconsider. Because both their goals did not come down to Rob Holding. They came on the left side of our defence, of where they came from. And second of all, the reason why we didn't win, for me, other than the defensive mistakes of our left-hand side, comes down to two things. One, Mikel Arteta's substitutions in the second half, again, need to be better. And we'll talk about that shortly. And secondly, we played, as I mentioned, with an arrogance and we were too comfortable when we went 2-0 up and we were not ruthless enough to go and get the third goal. And you could argue there's a third point as well, which is just down to luck of unfortunately missing that penalty. There's no reason, no reason at all to look at Rob Holding and go, yep, that's the reason. And yet I've seen people on social media wax, try to wax lyrical about supposedly him being the big, big cause of our title crumble. No, I'm sorry, but no, we didn't not, we didn't not win at Anfield because of Rob Holding and we didn't not win at West Ham yesterday because of Rob Holding. You cannot put the blame on him. And if you come out of that game and you go, well, if we have William Saliba, we might have won. Maybe, but surprise, it may come as a shock to some people. But when you are without your first and second choice right-sided centre-back, your first choice left-back, and you're down to two of your three, well, two of the four, one of them being the third choice in your back four, you are going to struggle a bit. But then it's on the attacking players to get the job done, and ultimately that didn't happen. So, you know, I think that probably ends the holding bit until I get an inevitable question in the second half. Just a quick thing on Declan Rice. Brilliant, brilliant player. Anyone with any reservations, go watch that game back again and see why we want to sign him. Fantastic footballer. Fantastic footballer. I pray that we get Declan Rice in the summer because if he can put performances in like that in big pressure moments in games, my goodness, have we got that second quality option that we've been crying out for in the midfield. Quick picture there of him signing a shirt, of Martin Odegaard signing a shirt for him as well. Make of that what you will. Courtesy of being sports, of course. Um, Mikel Arteta. Uh, oh, the substitutions. Oh, the substitution. <laughs> I, I, I cannot praise Mikel Arteta enough. I said this last time. I said this so you can watch my short from the Liverpool game that was brilliantly edited by Bayo, our editor. Um, I can't say it enough. His coaching, his development, his eye for talent, his squad building, his principles, um, his player management, 
player individual coaching. Um, there's more that I'm forgetting. Loads about Mikel Arteta is brilliant. And we are in a title race because of that man. And without Mikel Arteta, I think you put any other manager in charge of Arsenal in the last two and a half years, and I don't think they get Arsenal to the title race after finish after being down in 11th to 8th when he took over. Unai Emery was sacked in 11th place. I think you put any other manager in that position when we were in 11th after Emery was sacked, I don't think they get Arsenal competing with Man City in two and a half years. I don't think that. However, there's your caveat, okay, before I get any Arteta um, stands coming for me, uh, of which I used to be, uh, and, you know, arguably still am, but uh, I just hate the word stand. But in terms of the substitutions and the in-game management, this is an area of Arteta's game that needs to improve. It just needs to get better. And in the last two games, the substitutions, for me, are part of the reason why Arsenal were unable to get the three points. In the game yesterday, Bukayo Saka should have come off. Love Bukayo Saka. Again, would not be in a title race without Bukayo Saka and his contribution to the team. Brilliant. But some brilliant some brilliant players have, have, have games off, have off games, have poor performances. It happens. But you've got to have the front as a manager to take them off. And for me, Gabriel Jesus was doing really well. And when he took Gabriel Jesus off, I was a little bit perplexed because I would have taken off Saka for Trossard, moved Trossard into the middle and moved Gabriel Jesus slightly to the right-hand side. That's what I would have done in that moment. There's some people suggesting that we could have taken off one of the centre-backs, probably holding, brought on Jorginho, moved Tierney to left-sided centre-back and, you know, had kind of a back three with Tierney there. I didn't agree with bringing Tierney off. I thought Tierney had a really good game. I really enjoyed what I saw of Tierney. Yes, he's not Zinchenko. Yes, he didn't perform the Zinchenko role as well as he did. But I thought he had a really decent game, did Kieran Tierney. If your expectation from Kieran Tierney is, is Zinchenko, prepare to be disappointed because he's not going to give you that. He's not going to give you that. He's going to try. He's going to do his absolute best to do what he can, but he's not going to give you that. And so if that's what your expectation is, you're going to be disappointed. But if you actually think about, if you go into the game expecting to see a performance from Kieran Tierney, you're going to get it because he performed and he gave a good display. And I wouldn't have taken him off. If I was going to bring any defender off, it probably would have been Rob Holding to change things structurally, bring on Jorginho for him. Bringing off Partey, I had no problem with because Partey was dreadful. You know, but again, the structure of things just, I didn't get it. Martinelli coming off, Odegaard coming off. I get the idea of bringing on extra forward players for energy, but I didn't really get that. And where's Smith Rowe? Where is Emil Smith Rowe? Like, if you're Emil Smith Rowe, you're sitting on the bench and you had a brilliant last campaign. Yes, you're coming back from injury. And as far as I'm aware, the guy's fit. As far as I've been told, he's fit. He's, he's ready to play and he wouldn't be on the bench if he's not. He's fit. So why not bring someone on who was one of our most integral players last season? What's going on there? Need to ask the question. Question needs to be asked where Smith Rowe is. Because, you know, this is someone that we gave the number 10 shirt to, a brand new contract, turning down 40, 50 million pound bids from Aston Villa. Well, 40 million pound bids from Aston Villa. You got to use him. <laughs> you got to use him. Like, Reese Nelson's come on and done the business for us. And this season, Eddie Nketiah has never scored this season after coming off the bench. And when you watch back last season, who was it that was coming off the bench and scoring goals for us in big games? It was Emil Smith-Rowe. It wasn't Eddie Nketiah. 
And I think Eddie Nketi did a great job while Gabriel Jesus was out when he was starting games. But Eddie Nketiah from the bench is, it just, it just isn't there. It's just not his role. He's not a good sub striker. You know, that's just not what he's about. And so I'd much rather bring Smith Rowe on, who has a, uh, a studied history of scoring from the bench and coming on making impact. Again, Mayamengo, uh, Mayameno, sorry, says, if ESR is not ready, he shouldn't have been on the bench. It's simple as that. And I agree. Like, if he's not ready, if people are suggesting he's not ready, <laughs> he, he shouldn't be on the bench. But he's on the bench because, as what I've been told, is that he's fit. He's fit. That's what I'm told, is the guy is fit and ready to play. So I don't really get why he's not being used. And if I was him, I would be frustrated. And I would be asking the question as to why Smith Rowe is not playing and why he's not getting the minutes. So, and on, anyway, bringing Eddie and Ketty on with three minutes to go. I agree with James here. Uh, I don't really understand the the benefit of that. You're, you're not really going to get too much. So, yeah, the substitutions. Um, I bet if I scroll up, I bet there's a comment saying that I'm focusing too much on subs. Oh, there you go. Anton, stop focusing on subs. It's about the mentality when you're turning up and letting the opponent back in. People in the chat box, people listening on catch up, please enlighten Anton to tell him that this is probably the seventh sixth or seventh slide i've done in this show this is the seventh point on the agenda that i've discussed today it's always careful to jump in if you join the show late consider the fact that i may have talked about things before i talk about this you know i also caveat caveated this section quite significantly regarding him as well um but yeah i, I don't need to talk about the subs anymore anyway because i've made that point um, I do want to end section one on a positive uh, message from Martin Odegaard after the game. It says, we have to remember that we are still top of the league with everything in our own hands. The same mindset, same mentality to make sure we win the next one. Uh, now, I did speak to one of the players after the game and that will be coming out uh, midday. So watch out for that. All I will say, it was an encouraging message that I got when asked the question about our momentum. Um, so watch out 12 o'clock midday uh, at Tom Cantor Media on Twitter. You'll be able to see that, but it's uh, it's being held back till then for embargo reasons. Um, that's going to bring an end to part one. It's a very long part one, and I'm only going to be doing a part two for a certain section because I actually have an exam <laughs> in at 9.30. So I need to be off to do some 30 minutes of cramming, although I did spend a lot of my evening last night doing further revision, but uh, I've never, I haven't had an exam since 20... 16, I think. I haven't done an exam in seven years, so I've got to try and make sure I do it well. Um, but let's go to part two and your questions right after this. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
Uh, Anton in the chat says, sorry, Tom, just jumped in. No worries, mate. I appreciate you holding your hands up. Always something that we are open to. Because I do it all the time. I hold my hands up and say I've got things wrong as well. Um, let's jump in then. And, and thank you guys for wishing the, the good luck. I'm sure it'll be okay. Uh, it's on law. It's not a golf exam, no. <laughs> I wish it was a golf exam. It's on law. Um, it's part of journalism that I need to, that I've been needing to get a qualification in. So uh, I've been doing a lot of law stuff recently. So let's keep our fingers crossed that I do well. Um, so let's go to LJ. So Saka's overall game in the last two matches has been very poor. Even when we've been winning, he's been poor. But when we can clearly see he's having a bad game, why is he immune to being substituted? I think at Liverpool in the first 30 minutes, he was great. And I thought ultimately he went a bit quiet after that. Yesterday, I didn't think he had the best game at all. And I would have brought him off a lot earlier. And I would have moved Jesus, as I say, to the right-hand side. I don't really know. Um, I don't know why he's immune to substitution. Maybe it's something that Arteta needs to be asked about. Um, but I, I I agree, LJ, that I would have taken him off. Um, I would have taken him off much sooner. Um, Raybeam says, TC, didn't you teach your students not to cram back? No, I told, told them to cram. Cramming's great. I, honestly, the myth around cramming for your exams. That said, cramming needs to be done in addition to other revision. Like you need to revise leading up to the exam. But anyone saying that you shouldn't do any revision right before an exam, I'm sorry, I just don't agree with you. And I'm a former teacher, so you know, I feel relatively qualified. I'm not a former teacher because I wasn't good enough to be a teacher anymore. I quit my job to change to journalism just to caveat that fact. Um, but yeah, cramming's great. Do it. Your mind remembers so much in the last 24 hours compared to the last two months ago. Cram. Cram for days, mate. Well, a day. <laughs> Cramming's really good, so do it. Um, let's go to uh, Marcus says, why is Erdogan always off and Saka really off? Again, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Omar says, do you think Saka is getting complacent because he knows no matter how bad Arteta is, he'll never take... I don't think that's the reason. I don't think, I, I don't think Saka's that way inclined. I think Saka gives his all and will try and give his all... And he's just having a bit of a, a poor couple of games. And it is just a couple of games. You know, I really don't think that I'm looking at Saka and going, oh, he's a problem. You know, I'm not looking at that at all. I think he's having a couple of off games and we've not done enough to protect him. Unfortunately, we should do more. And he should be brought off. That should give him the protection. Subbing someone is not always a bad thing. Subbing someone can sometimes be a good thing and be about protecting the player and taking them out of the firing line. And I think that falls on Arteta to do it. Um, Daniel says, do you think we should rest Saka against Southampton? No, I think he should start because for me, the best way to play yourself out, the best way to get out of a bad patch is to play yourself out of a bad patch. Always, 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 always. The best way to come out of that bad patch is to play yourself out of it. I don't believe in dropping players necessarily until um, you find a way to put them back in. When we're talking about this caliber and level of player, I'd always give them the opportunity, but you need to be more open to subbing them off if it's not going well. Also, you have to question who comes in because you'd say Trossard and then move Jesus to the right, but I don't think that's how you start games. You start games with either Trossard or Jesus in the middle. I don't think you play both of them from the start. Um, I'd move it more so to, to, to Saka starting this game if ready, and he needs to be ready. So I'd play him back into form ahead of the City game. Worst thing you can do is drop Saka and then have to throw him in against City after dropping him. I don't, I don't want that. I would start him and I'd sub him off at half-time or maybe 60 minutes in, even if he's having a good game because you want to rest him for the City game slightly before that on Wednesday. Um, Aditya says, hey, Tom, it pinches me that it didn't go our way. A poor 75 minutes. Does it impact our upcoming game? And good luck for your exam. Thanks, mate. Um, 
I'm sure it will have an impact. It's about how we respond. And, you know, I'm hoping that we do see a response. And that's that's what I've been promised. So let's see if that indeed does happen. Um, let's go to Mark says, Tom, what did you make of Domino's taking a swipe at Arsenal yesterday after, game, uh, after the game calling us bottlers? Uh, it's a marketing tool. <laughs> um, spec savers do it all the time to loads of clubs. I, I wouldn't take it personally, Mark, to be honest. If you're going to not eat, if you're not going to eat Domino's anymore because of their tweet, that's your decision. Um, I don't care <laughs> with respect. I just don't really care <laughs> what Domino's says or does. Um, let's go to Pinnyween. Thank you so much for the um, for the kind donation, mate. I really appreciate the, the support as always. Cram the likes, indeed. Cram the likes, people. Uh, press that like button. Uh, the Norton says, Tom, do you have a website for TGT? Um, I, I did. Um, we used to, I, it probably still exists. I just haven't used it in ages, uh, mainly because I got a writing job. So uh, I didn't have the time to, to carry on and I haven't got the time to run it. Um, Maybe something that will reinvigorate in the future, um, but uh, it's not something I use at the moment in time. Uh, probably something if I ever went full time and just full time on this that I would do, but yeah, not at the moment. Um, Ikwan says, Hey, Tom, it's not a question, just good luck with your exam. Thanks, mate. Much appreciate that. Uh, Mohammed says, You know, Tom, I watch all presses for Mikel, and I have to say, no journalist asks important questions pre or after the matches. No one asks the manager. Oh, bore off, honestly. If someone feels like they could do their job better than me or anyone else, feel free to go and do it. I'm so I, it, honestly, I can't tell you how annoying it is. I'm going to be blunt and frank with you guys. I'll probably unblock, but I know how it in a minute. It's just a moment of frustration. I get so annoyed, and it's I think it's a fair annoyance I have, a fair annoyance I have that a lot of work and time and effort right goes into getting into a position where you can get into a press conference and ask a question. And you'll see whether it's Charles or James or Kyra or, or whoever tweeting or me tweeting that they're at a press conference. And you'll get people in the underneath that tweet going, ask about this, ask about this, ask about this. And it's like, whilst I'll sit here and say, I think something should be asked. It's not, it's not down to me to say, oh, you so-and-so go and ask this question. Go and ask this question. It's really, dis I find it really disrespectful. I'm going to be very honest. I find it disrespectful. And I am frustrated in the context of yesterday's performance. I'm done in about yesterday's performance, which means I'm a little bit more wired than I would usually be. But it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. Like, imagine someone kept coming and telling you how to do, like, your job. It's really frustrating. Really, really is. So, look, I appreciate that we hope that things are certain asked. But to say that no one asks important questions is just disrespectful. Jason says, if fit, would you play Saliba against Southampton or would you not risk him until the City? Um, if if It depends. It really does depend upon um, how ready Saliba is before Southampton. If there is a risk that he could be re-injured before the game or during the game, then no. If it's a case of they feel they could play him for a half, then sure, see how he responds. But you have to accept that there's gonna there's gonna be a there's gonna be a risk. You know, there's gonna be a risk associated with that Saliba situation. There's gonna be a real risk with it. But it's so tough, isn't it? Because you just know that we we are better with Saliba, and it's not a shock. You know, it's not a it's not a dig at holding. 
Saliba's just a better player, like, and we know that. And so we know we're going to be better uh, with him as well. Um, let's go to Elbat. She says, do you think the amount of goals we have conceded recently has compounded the sentiment around holding? Um, potentially, but we've conceded a lot of goals, you know, <laughs> We've conceded goals in games with Saliba. Like Saliba's made mistakes. Gabriel's made mistakes. And the irony is that yesterday's goals, none of them came down holding side. You know, we didn't concede goals from holding side of the pitch yesterday. And yet again, he's he's in for that criticism. Um one song suit says, let's be honest, if you ask certain questions, you may not be invited back. It's about balancing acts for journalists. Absolutely. You know, if <laughs> It's like um, during the transfer window, it gets really frustrating because obviously you want to ask a question to be able to find out about a player, right? So let me paint you an example. If you ask Mikel Arteta about any transfer target, he's not going to answer the question because they refuse to ask answer questions on transfer. And that's completely fine. And I understand the reason why. You can absolutely understand why... Um, Arteta would refuse to answer a question on a, on a transfer because it might not happen. Now, when I went to the presser in January and it was just before Chelsea hijacked the Mudrick deal, I asked Mikel Arteta if he was frustrated around, I'm trying to think of exactly how I worded it, something on the, in the comments, it was a long time ago, but it was something along the lines of uh, the frustrations of the value of players being much higher than what the club perceives them to be. And he gave a full on, like full um, answer to that question because it wasn't being asked about X and Y and Z player, you know, and it's just about asking the right questions, you know, and I think that's what's, that's key. But you're right at the end of the day, one Tong Soup, which is a strange YouTube name that I've got to respond to in the context of this. But, you know, I, if you, if you turn around and say, why, um, <laughs> Well, it's like, like questioning his coaching and stuff like that. What, what type of answer are you going to expect? You know, it's uh, it's a bit strange. Um, I think you have to think sensibly about what can be asked. But it gets, as I've said before, I find it really disrespectful for anyone to try and tell someone else how they should be doing um, what they should be doing in a press conference. It's yeah, it, it's it's something that, that gets on my bugbear, if you like. Which is in the same kind of sense to avoid hypocrisy of, you know, where we're going, um, why Arteta didn't sub X, Y, Z player. <clears throat> At the end of the day, Arteta's the manager. Arteta's got to his position knowing a lot more about football than every one of us that listens to this show, you know. And it's an, it's an opinion to say, I think that the, the weakest part of his management is his in-game management. I think that's the area of his game where he, he could improve because everything else is brilliant. And so it just means that it's easy to identify the areas that I think he could be better at, you know. But, you know, he's been brilliant. <laughs> so it's very difficult to even criticise all that much these days because we're way above where we ever thought that we would be. Um Valeria says, hey, Tom, Robbie's not the reason that we lost. We just play a few yards ahead of when Saliba plays and he's brilliant on the ball. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you sum it up uh, perfectly, Valeria, to be honest. Um, I really think that um, if you use your third choice player of a position, you're naturally going to see something that's not as good. It's as simple as that for me. Um, let's go to where the heck is the pink kit? I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. And Nick says, why is the audio from the journalists asking questions so poor in press conferences? Because we don't have a microphone. <laughs> it's a really easy answer, Nick, for that. Um, all the microphones and phones are in front of Arteta. There's no microphone for us. Whenever I'm in a press conference, I really try and speak loudly. If you've ever heard me in one of them, you'll probably hear me louder than the others. One, I try and sit at the front. And two, I try and speak as loud as I can so it gets picked up um, by the microphones. But uh, yeah, it, they, we just don't have microphones. <laughs> so that's why. It's as simple as that. Um, Abrima says, uh, I think withholding, he is more passive uh, in terms of not impacting the play in the middle of the play because he can or can't handle the pressure. I, I, maybe that was a typo. Um, holding is just, holding will give you, holding is what he is. I know it's a really kind of cop-out answer, but at the end of the day, holding is what he is, which is he's a box defender. He's a defender from Arsenal's past. Um, he's not a ball-playing centre-back. And that's why if we're going to upgrade on him, we should probably look to find somebody that's more attuned to the way in which we want to play. If we can move holding on in the summer, we can upgrade on him. Sure, upgrade on him. But as we know, his influence off the field has always been very much referenced by players, by coaches, and he's seen as, a, as an experienced figure of the group. And those types of figures are important. You don't necessarily always see it. And it's not really immediately evident when we watch games and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, I think that... Um, I, I think having, again, I go back to that same point of when it's your third choice centre-back, um, when it's your third choice centre-back at the end of the day, you're always going to see a drop-off of quality. It's That's fairly obvious, I think. Um, Steve says, are the journalist questions pre-vetted? No, I've never had to send in a question. Um, Post-match, pre-match, I've never had to send in a question to get pre-vetted. So no, Steve, there. They're not. Arteta answers them not knowing what's going to be asked to, to the best of my knowledge. I can only speak from my perspective, but whenever I've been in a press conference, the question I've asked, I've never had to send in beforehand. Um, and yeah, never. It's never had to happen. And I think in AGMs, like before in the past, they've had to send in questions before. I, um, I think that's pretty common knowledge. But yeah, no, not in press conferences, Steve. No, they're never, never pre-vetted. Um, no problem. Um, oh, Dave says, Tom, thank you for the therapy, meditating our group, uh, go study. Yes, I think you're probably right. Uh, I, I promised myself that I wouldn't lose my head a little bit this morning, but I have, which is frustrating because I wouldn't, don't want to lose my heads. But yeah, unfortunately, when a question gets personal and starts talking about your profession, it does go a bit beyond, unfortunately. So sorry about that. I can only apologize for me losing my head a little bit there, but uh, yeah really that that's that one thing that really does get on my nerves and i just i can't hide it unfortunately when it comes out overall uh i do think that we have gone through the game in a lot of detail i think we've discussed plenty of positives negatives i think we've talked about um areas of improvement and i think what you should take away from this west ham game is not that it's over if you view that it's over maybe go watch something else for the rest of the season don't do it to yourself um, I think that this season is still very much alive. I think the title race is still very much alive and the table is evidence of that fact. I'm overjoyed of where we are in the table. I'm overjoyed with what I've had to experience this season and that I will continue to experience this season um, because it's brilliant. Being an Arsenal fan has been great. And look, if people want to give it to us, it's part of football. Don't let that annoy you. 
you know, we give it to Spurs, Chelsea, United, Liverpool fans, but they're not the ones in title races this season, guys. You know, they're not the, they're the ones that are having to scrap and fight for wins. You know, you could be losing to a last-minute goal against Bournemouth. You could be losing to Brian at home, you know, losing back-to-back-to-back-to-back like Chelsea fans are. They're in no position to rub it in our faces. No position at all. Um, so don't let that get on your nerves. Don't let all the um, the banter from conglomerates and companies get on your nerves. Enjoy the fact that we're still top. Enjoy the fact that we've got a great chance to respond against Southampton. Enjoy the fact that we've got a Man City game coming up, which presents us with an amazing opportunity. It's a cup final, basically, for us, for us that we've got coming up. I know you won't enjoy it. You're going to be a nervous wreck. I get that. But I think you've got to come out of this game still very much positive. We didn't lose. We're still nine games unbeaten. And uh, I'm hoping that we're going to see a reaction on Friday. And I'm going to Chicago, so I've got to enjoy my holiday as well. It's been great and not so great, but thank you for listening. Do drop a like on the video. Do subscribe if you're new. Uh, tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., you'll have a preview for the Southampton game with a journalist I'll be speaking with. Um, and then, of course, the 8 a.m. shows become the 2 p.m. shows up until I get back from the U.S. next Wednesday on the day of the Man City game. Um, hopefully, I don't know what the logistics are about the live show in Chicago. I'm hoping that we're going to have a recorded version of it so I can actually have that played uh, on the channel as well. But I don't know if I can promise that or not because I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. Um, so, yeah. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Do drop a like on the video. I know I've said that about seven times, um, <laughs> but it's one of those. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I will speak with you very soon. Have a great day, and as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.